bow your heads just for a moment, please. And what is it? What is it when we really say thank you, Jesus? Like, like to know, to know the price that was paid, and to know that Jesus Christ put Himself on a cross for you and for me. There's even the song that we sung, King of Kings, that just took us to the manger. It took us to the cross. It took us to the resurrection. It took us to right now, the church age, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it took us to eternal life in His majesty and His glory. And to know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. To know that. To know that God loved you that He gave. And in those two words He gave, we see this amazing picture of the cross that Jesus Christ left heaven, put himself in a manger, that's a feeding trough in a stable. Live this innocent, perfect life for the purpose of what it means to seek and to save that which was lost, which only could take place on the cross. So Jesus went from the manger to the cross to seek and to save me and to you because God loved me and God loved you. And when you just dial into that and you focus on God loves me and Jesus loves me, that he was willing to give up himself and be the sacrifice for my sin and for my wrong, that Jesus became my doorway to eternal life. Jesus and only Jesus has given me access to everlasting life. But Jesus gave up his body. Jesus shed his blood for you and I. There was a a real price that had to be paid for our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave. And in the midst of those two words he gave, you see Jesus who gets arrested in the garden. You see Jesus who then begins to get tuned up, begins to get beaten, begins to get punched in the face repeatedly with little rods. You see Jesus that just continues to be mocked and made fun of. Jesus who's getting spat in his face. Jesus who's just taking just the hit after hit, punch after punch. Jesus finds himself trial after trial after trial after trial, goes back in to a ring that just, he just continues to get tuned up, continues to get beat, strips down naked. Uh, Jesus finds himself in in the middle of, of where they begin to just tune him up some more and make fun of him and put a crown of thorns on his head. Bible says after they put a crown of thorn on his head, they took this little baseball bat, it's called a rod, and just beat it into his head. Thorns up to three inches, they say. Then they strip him naked. Time to a post. Hands over his head. Full body exposed. And these centurion soldiers just begin to whip and scourge Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus has done no wrong. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is perfect. Whip after whip, shredding after shredding, literal pieces of his body being torn from his flesh. Isaiah 52 says he was unrecognizable as a human being. Could you imagine this hump of flesh on a cross where you couldn't even recognize him as a man? Because God so loved the world. And we sing, we love you, Jesus. I want that to be deep today. I want that to be in your spirit today. I love Jesus because of what he's done for me that I am saved and I am forever safe from God's wrath. My sin has been dealt with only because Jesus dealt with it. I love you, Jesus. I thank you that your body was broken. I thank you that that your blood was shed. I thank you for every time that whip came across your back, came across your legs, came across your chest. Every time skin was torn from your body, 
Could you imagine the mess? For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Church, what is it to be reminded again of the cross? The Old Testament always looks to the cross. The Old Testament is written. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Come on, everyone just look at me just for a minute because you got to get this. Before we take communion, you got to know the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament was looking to the cross. We, the New Testament, the church age, always looks back to the cross to remember. Old Testament to the cross. New Testament back to the cross to remember. And when, when you get that, you can see the big picture of Scripture. It's about Jesus. When you begin to understand this amazing eternal timeline, like we know even in our song this morning, like we sing Christ forever, like his majesty is eternal. God Almighty has no rival and he has no equal. And when you get that, like God has always been, God is eternal. We, we have a hard time in our little minds that is very temporary to understand God who is eternal, God who is forever. There's not a beginning and there's not an end. He's always been because he's God. But then we, we look at there's this moment on the eternal timeline. That there's a, you know what, what a timeline is, right? You have a straight line. And then there's a line that comes down here. That's an event. And then down here, there's a line that comes down here. And then that's an event. And there's a line that comes down here. And then that's event. And this is that eternal timeline. And on that eternal timeline, there's this moment that it's just, there's this big long line. And then there's this line that comes down. And in the midst of that line that comes down, there's this voice in the darkness that says, let there be light. Genesis 1, in the beginning. That, that's not the beginning of God. That's just the beginning of this creation. God has always been, and on that eternal timeline, there was this one little line that comes down that says, let there be light. And then that, that is the beginning of creation. And on day six, he says, let's make man in our image. His greatest creation is you and me. His greatest creation is mankind so that we might be in fellowship with him and we may commune with him and we will walk in the garden with him. That was the point. That was the point that we are not made like any of his creation. We have fellowship with him. The only thing that he breathed his spirit in is mankind so that we could be like him. He didn't make the birds like him. He didn't make the animals like him. He didn't make the eagles like him. He didn't make the trees like him. It was us in his image. Special. Genesis 3 says there was the pride of man and sin showed up that made this separation between God and man. And in that moment, the wages of sin is death. And then everything is tilted towards this one amazing event that there's this line that comes down and it says the cross. Just that was a moment in the history of the eternal timeline that the Old Testament looked to and the New Testament looks back to is this one single moment of the Son of the living God on a cross that dealt with the issue from Genesis 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What does communion mean to you? Do you make this so personal that you can say, no, I know that I'm saved because of Jesus Christ. I know that I'm born again because what Jesus did for me, there is no other answer. Jesus himself said, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. That's it. I'm it. John 10 says, I'm the door. There's no going around the door. There's no going under the door. There's no going over the door. You can only go through the door. Jesus is like, I'm it. I'm the only way. And it's enough. Jesus is enough. Do you know Christ as Lord and Savior? Can you sit here and today and say, my eternity is based on that one moment in history 
of all eternity that Jesus put himself on a cross because God loved me. And in him dying for me has given me access to eternal life. But I have to repent from my sin. That was, he dealt with the sin issue on that cross. My sin has been forever dealt with because Jesus Christ, who was innocent and perfect, put himself on a cross as the sin blood sacrifice for me. Church, we owe him everything. We owe him everything. We're called to repent from our sin and believe in Jesus. I repent and turn from my sin. I acknowledge my sin has caused separation from God. And I, I admit that and I repent from that. And I believe, Jesus, you're the only answer. Jesus, you're, you're it. You're access. I believe in Jesus is the only way. You came, you died, and you rose again. And that's the doorway. And the Bible says that we are called to confess that he is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead and then you shall be saved. Confess that he is Lord means I surrender. I'm all in. I get it. You are master. You are Lord. Your word is true. And I believe it and I walk in it. I repent. I surrender to you. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you took the hit, you took the whipping, you took the scourging. I thank you, Jesus, they put nails in your hands and your feet and hung you on a tree. For six hours, you hung there with a little breath, and every time you took a breath, it was painful. Church, you got to understand something. Generally speaking, crucifixion took days, days to die. Sometimes weeks to die. Jesus, it was six hours. They were surprised by his death. That's how badly he was shredded. He couldn't breathe. And then there's the screech in the darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That church, that's the moment. God the Father had to turn his back and forsake his own son. The word forsaken means to abandon his son. Turn his back on his son. Because his wrath had to be poured out when my sin was eternally placed on, on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Where's your surrender today? just bow your heads, man. Come up. I'm going to ask you, like, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you truly born again? You don't know Jesus because of your attendance. You don't have eternal life because of your attendance at Believer's Chapel. You don't have eternal life because of religion classes. You don't have eternal life because of your documentation of giving. You don't have eternal life because you're just a good person, haven't done anything wrong. You don't have eternal life for any other reason. Sin has caused us to be dead spiritually. The only way we get access to eternal life in heaven is through Jesus. No other way. Do you know Jesus? Maybe there's just something inside of you. We call it the Holy Spirit that's just tugging at your spirit. Say, listen, you need Jesus. You need to repent. You know this. You need to come to the cross. You need to come to Jesus. Hallelujah, that there's that stirring within your spirit to know, no, man, I know that I don't know Christ. I tried to buy into a system and the system don't work. It's Jesus only. Do you know Christ? Man, if you're in this house this morning, you're like, no, I, I need to know Jesus, man. I just want you to, in this moment, just cry out to the Lord and just pray something similar to this. Just say, Lord, forgive me. You died for me to deal with my sin issue. And I acknowledge that. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn from sin. Jesus, I believe in you. My trust is now in you. Jesus, I see it, the big picture. You came. You died. You rose again. 
I believe that. I trust that. And in this moment, I call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. And in this moment, I surrender. I surrender to you. I confess that you are my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I turn to you. Come on, as you are opening your cups, please, I just want to read from Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. For he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the, I love this, here it is. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Here is the picture of the Old Testament. Looking toward the work of the cross. Jesus came, put himself on that cross. And now you and I are the church age and we are, Jesus himself says, look back to the cross and remember. Don't ever forget. And that's what we're called to do today. And in the same place, say, Lord, this is personal for me. You died for me and I am saved and I'm born again. And I have eternal life and I know that that is my hope. And I have joy and I have peace. Jesus, thank you for your love. Come on, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead, please. In the same way, he took the cup. There's a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead, please. Lord, we just come before you and we are just amazed by you and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that we are free. We thank you that you, we are forgiven. Jesus, thank you for the cross. We boast only on the cross. Jesus, it's you, and it's only you, and we remember you today. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, come on, amen. Amen. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on, welcome to Believer's Chapel, man. Pumped that you're with us. Come on, turn with me, please. Malachi 2. We close out our marriage series today with kind of a deep word. So I'm pumped that you're here. This is a great word for those who are single. Great word for those who are married. Great word for those who, who are, are, are going through it, right? We're, we're going into a deep topic today. We're going to close out strong in this marriage series, and I'm, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, this weekend was a great weekend for Believer's Chapel. Man, we saw just a wonderful, wonderful work done here yesterday. Who was here yesterday for the ladies' Christmas brunch? That was an amazing, incredible day. Man, we had 30 tables here, 10 chairs at a table, each table decorated differently by the table host, almost 300 women in this house. And it was it's one of those favorite days where you get to walk around and just see the creativity of the table host and how they decorate each table so differently and the invited guests, many of those who are part of BC, many of those who are not part of BC, which is totally the plan. I love that. Get them here. Let them hear the gospel. Amazing. Uh, just a true shout out and a high five to the table host. You guys crushed it. Ladies, you crushed it. Your tables looked elegant. They were beautiful. They were Christmas. It was amazing. The food smelled so good. I mean, I call it the pastor tax, right? Like I'm like, like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a cookie here. And someone brought cream puffs for the size of like the table. Had to have one of those, the whole thing. It was amazing. I mean, it was just an incredible day. And then we had uh, a gentleman core 
that was our servers, and we wanted to serve the ladies, and they had their gold vest and their tie, and they, they were just, they were awesome, and they each had a couple tables, water, coffee. It was, it was endless bottom, man. It was incredible. Servers were phenomenal. They got tipped by food. They were not complaining. It was incredible. You know, it wasn't no 10%. It was like 20% plus of just food. Incredible, right? So we were just so grateful yesterday, and then we had part of our worship team, Katie and Melissa, led worship for us yesterday. My lovely bride, Miss Renee, spoke an amazing word on the gospel. Incredible, all around, beautiful, incredible day here at Believer's Chapel. Huge success, huge success for our Christmas brunch. Can we please give a thank you for that? Please, it was amazing. I'm so blessed by that, truly blessed by that. Just to see the buzz and the atmosphere that was in this house was something special. And uh, just a huge shout out to that. The gospel message was presented beautifully by my wife. And I'm very much proud of her and very excited for a great, a great word. Um, come on, let's get into Malachi 2. Malachi is uh, last book in the Old Testament. If you know the New Testament, shift left one book. You'll find Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. Um, and this is the last, last message in our blessed marriage series. Uh, we talked about, you know, for the sake of unity, dot, dot, dot. How am I going to change to keep unity? For the sake of honor, dot, dot, dot. Well, when I understand marriage is to be held in this place of honor, there's weight to it and, and, and what marriage and God created marriage to. How am I going to change uh, when I understand that? And then last week, Renee and I had opportunity to stand up here together and look at our 29 years of marriage. We were like in the, we just started the third quarter. I say we're just coming out of halftime, just got past halftime, and we're just starting the third quarter to our marriage, which we got a lot, a lot to go, a lot of juice, man. We're pumped about what's ahead for us. We know that God's plan is continuous for Renee and I in marriage, but we just wanted to just share last week like the, the, the both of us, we do have a blessed marriage and it's good. A marriage that anybody can have when you do it God's way. But we looked and said, here's four points that we really feel like we've done these well. And this is what allowing us to have such a good marriage, all Bible, biblical points. And that was a, a great week. Love to hear uh, from Renee. And just that was a tremendous week last Sunday. And then we closed today with, with a, a message on what is, what is a covenant marriage? What does it mean to say, my marriage is a covenant. And we have to, we have to get past. We have, to, we have to go deep to say, man's opinion doesn't matter. Government's opinion on marriage doesn't matter. God's opinion is the only one that matters. And when you as a man and a woman come into a marriage, you have to understand the depth of what God says about that. You got to understand the commitment level that God expects from us when we walk into marriage. The word is covenant, not a contract. It's not you go sign for your marriage license that can easily be ripped up. No, this is, this is before God, that this is now a covenant before God between a man and a woman. There's, please hear me. There's some depth to this. I'm going to speak very, very real on this, very straight on this, because I want, I want, if you are single in this place, I want you to get this because uh, marriage has been, or, excuse me, divorce has been made easy as an easy out. You can go to court now and have a no fault divorce. You used to have to go to court and prove why you wanted to get a divorce. You've got to go and you have to have proof of why you want a divorce. Now you go sign a paper that says no fault divorce. Please hear me. There's no such thing as a divorce that has no fault. There's always, if you're in a divorce, there's always someone to blame. Always. It might be one. Most likely it's both. Like there's no such thing as a no fault divorce. So, so even when you look at that, you're like, ah, man, if I'm going to get married, I, I want you to know if you're single, you're, you're high school, man, you're dating, you're college, you're dating, you're waiting, you're waiting for Mr. Wonderful, you're waiting for Miss, Miss, Miss Amazing Woman, Wonder Woman's going to come into your picture like you're waiting. And then when you know, okay, I know that there's a day that I'm going to be married or you are married and you know that you're married and you're like, okay, what's the weight of that? How important is marriage? Well, if you look at the worldview, there's a high percent, 50 plus, that are being divorced. When you look at, at Christians, Focus on the Family did a wonderful, wonderful uh, unpacking of this in a sense of percentages and different things. When you look at the church, a lot of people say, well, the church is no different because the percentage of divorce is the same in the church for Christians. They, they went deeper and said, okay, let's define Christian. 
not just church goal, but if you truly are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you live your life according to the surrender of his word, the percent goes way down. The percent goes way down to those who say, no, we're doing it God's way. We get it. So there's wonderful hope in that. Don't just listen to the stats. But if you're single or if you're married, I want you to know what God truly says about what it means to be in a covenant marriage. Let's put up the word covenant. I want you to see this. We're going to read it. We're going to see it a couple of times in scripture today. This is what covenant means. It means, it means a, a divine constitution. It means a binding treaty. This isn't, this isn't a world constitution. This isn't a government constitution. This is created and defined by God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That when he says, listen, marriage is a covenant. That means it's divine. It's godly. It's not worldly. It's not government. This is a God thing. And God says, this is a divine constitution. That This is a, a binding tree that you can't like get out of. Like when we understand that, Divorce isn't an option. We'll talk about that. The two reasons for, that God gives for divorce, we'll briefly, briefly hit that. But I want you to know that when I see the depth of what marriage is, when we understand the reality of what I'm getting into, you need to know, okay, uh, I'm dating and I'm dating on purpose. And if there's a day that I'm going to marry this individual, I better know who they are because I should never get out of it as a Christian. As a believer, I don't want out. Right? So, you know, as, as a pastor, I don't even marry a male or female. I don't even marry people that haven't been dating a minimum of one year. You have to be dating a minimum of one year for me to even consider marrying you. And there's a lot that goes into me marrying you. Right? There's, there's marriage coaching. Uh, it's by a biblical premise. Like, for those who are like, oh, we, we've been dating for two months and I know that we're made for each other. Like, stop. You're being foolish. Like, and I'm being honest about that. You're being foolish. You need to take time. When you know, okay, I believe that this is a covenant and I need to get back to the reality and the depth of what marriage is. And when I'm in, I'm in. There's not really an out. So I'm going to take my time and I'm going to get it right. I'm going to take my time. And listen, your time isn't like, you know, if you're an older person and you've been, I've been dating her for six, six years. Like, come on, dude. Like, don't do that. Like, come on, marry the girl. Like, let's get through with this, right? Like, don't do that. Now, if you're in high school and you're high school sweetheart and you're going through college, that's a different story. But if you're like in life and you're like, oh, how long have you been dating? Four or five years. What are you, what are you waiting on? Like, come on. Like, the reality is, is when you know the depth of what the Bible says about a covenant marriage, you take your time. And you better know what you're getting. You better know the man that you're marrying. And you better know the woman that you're marrying. So when you get in marriage, there's no surprises. If you're in puppy love and, oh, he's so nice. And then you get married and, oh, he's so, so terrible. Well, that's on you because you were walking unwise. You need to walk in wisdom. And, and what I love about this is this, this sets a foundation to saying, okay, marriage is real. And it's deep. And, and, it, and it's till death do us part. If you went into dating and you start getting serious with somebody, you just start going till death do us part. Till death do us. You just keep thinking that through your head and your vows till death do us part. Like people say vows today and they don't own their oath. They don't live their vows. They say them. It means nothing. They go on and say, ah, if I don't like it, no fault divorce. We'll get out of this thing easy and quick. Like that's, that's not it. When you understand God's speaking here uh, till death do us part, when we get that, you go into it with a real, please hear me. I want you to go into marriage with a very serious depth of seriousness, right? I want you to go in with a level of seriousness going, okay, this is going to be till death do us part. And if it really stinks, till death do us part. Like, let's make it good. If you're in marriage today, and man, I love it where we've seen amazing, amazing restoration, amazing reconciliation between marriages that God has a plan for because they refused. They refused to take the easy way out. They refused to go through divorce. And they say, no, we are till death to his part. God is going to make this good. And they walk in a marriage that is fruitful and beautiful because they've owned till death to his part. I love that. I love that. And there might be many and I get this. Please hear me. I get it. I don't walk in your shoes, but I understand that uh, even a message like this could be 
like I, I am divorced and I've been through divorce. Like I'm not saying me, I'm saying maybe there are people here today or even online that you've walked through the heartbreak and the disaster and the hurt and the brokenness of a divorce. Please hear me, today is not a day that there's judgment. Today is not a day that we shame that. Today's a day that we say yesterday's over. As a pastor, I like to speak to tomorrow. And I like to speak to those who are not yet married or those who are in marriage. And this is not anti-you who's divorced. This isn't shame on you in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I know as a pastor, just counseling and going through the different things of coaching those who've been divorced, the hurt, the heartbreak, the pain, they even equate it to even uh, a death. As a, a death of a loved one and the hurt and the brokenness and the terror of what that means. So I, I understand it to that level. So this does not have anything to do with those who are divorced. This is for those who are in it, going to be in it, and those who are going to be remarried. To say, okay, what's it mean till death do us part? What does that really mean? And we need to live that way. We need to understand covenant marriage that way. And not the cheap way out. Not the easy way out. And we got to see this. Come on, Malachi 2, please, if you're there. I gave you a lot of time to get there. Come on, here we go. Malachi 2, uh, chapter, verse, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. I love this. Right off the top, it's like, okay, hold on. Wow, wait a minute. Let's do some underlining. Let's highlight this. For the Lord has been a witness. Highlight that. Underline that. For the Lord has been a witness, which means, hey, uh, we're not getting away with anything. Right, The Lord has been a witness. I love this. The Lord, he sees it all. The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. And treacherous is painfully, like wrongfully. Your version may actually use wrongfully. You have dealt wrongfully with your wife and God sees it all. Like gentlemen, that should just do kind of something to you like, like, like give you a chill to know like God sees it all. How you deal with your wife, the things that are known and the things that are unknown, God knows it all. He sees it all. Witnesses, that which is seen. God's a witness. God sees how we deal with our wife. God sees what we do that our wife doesn't see. God sees it. And I, and I love this. When you understand the reality of this, watch what it says, right? Yet for this reason, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, watch this, though she is your companion and your wife, here it is, by covenant. Your wife by covenant. She's your companion. This is uh, the, one of the one times that this word is used in the Old Testament, and it literally means your wife by companionship, by friendship, by depth, and it's a word for wife. Your companion, your wife, and your wife, how? By covenant. So when, when God begins to unpack this, he sees that, listen, there is a husband and there is a wife. God is a witness to this. God sees everything, gentlemen, on how we are treating our wives. But, but I love where it says, and she is your wife by a divine constitution. She is your wife by a binding treaty. And that doesn't mean contract. That has to do with the commitment, the level of commitment, the level of that divine constitution that God says, this is marriage. God says, this is husband and wife. God says, this is male and female, and it's a covenant, and it can't be broke. It's a divine binding agreement. It's that divine constitution. God's like, gentlemen, I see. I see your behavior with your wife. Watch this. Verse 15 says this, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit. Underline that. Take heed then to your spirit. Take heed then to your spirit. 
And let no one treacherously come against your wife of your youth. Take heed then your spirit. Gentlemen, you got to take note to this. This is God as a witness on how we treat our wives, that we need to be nourishing, we need to be caring, we need to be gentle. We've covered all this in the last three weeks. And that looks to this right here in Malachi 2, where God says, listen, you got to understand, this is till death do us part. There's a commitment level to marriage unlike any other commitment on the planet. You don't have this commitment with your friends. You don't have this commitment with your children. You don't have this level of commitment with your parents. You don't have this level of commitment with anything to do with work. There is this level of commitment between a husband and a wife, and it is by covenant. There is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the biggest, most important decision that you will ever make is who your spouse will be, because that changes everything. And when you see this in Malachi 2, he says, gentlemen, I am watching how you treat your wife. And then watch this. He puts the weight on the men. Watch this. Take heed. I love this. Take heed then your spirit. Underline that. That means, gentlemen, you're the door. You're the doorkeeper. Gentlemen, you're the one to guard your wife. You're the, and the word guard it means like a military term. It means like with, with thorns all around. Like people cannot penetrate this. We as the husband, this is what this means. Take heed then your spirit and let no one and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. No one's allowed to talk to your wife in a, in a harsh way. No one's allowed to speak to your wife in a way that is treacherous. No one's allowed to say things, act in such a way that comes against your wife. Why? Because you're the doorkeeper. You're the guard. You're the one who stands against. Like, this is your responsibility. And gentlemen, you better, you better be careful on how you speak to women when you're a married man, when you're a single man, when that woman is not your woman, when that woman is not your wife, when that woman belongs to another man. You better be darn careful how you speak to her. Like, you got to hear me, please. Remember when it used to be that when someone would say something stupid about your mother or say something stupid about another man's wife, that there would be a fist that flies to the mouth? Remember those days where there would, be a, there would be blood after a stupid comment about another man's wife? Remember those days? I'm not saying I want you to go in a fight. I'm just saying I like those days. I liked it when there was honor to a man's word, and if you spoke ill against another man's wife, you were going to get knocked in the head. I'm a fan. <laughs> Listen, we have lost the, the place of honor for men are called, take heed to your spirit, protect, guard, be the doorkeep, and you make sure that no one speaks treacherously about your wife of your youth. We need to take this for real. Why? Because I'm in a covenant. No one else is in a covenant with my wife, just me. And she has a covenant with God by the blood of Christ. There's two covenants, the one with Jesus and the one with me. Me, the one with Jesus, and the one with Renee. And that is guarded. No other person, no other person can come against that covenant. Why? Because it's on the man. As, as, look at what it says. Take heed then your spirit. Like you need to be aware. You need to, need to preserve. You need to keep watch. You need to protect. You need to guard. No one's allowed to come against your wife. What does it look like when a husband protects and covers his wife? What does it look like when the wife knows my man, my man will protect me? My man will cover me. What is it when another man thinks twice about speaking something ill about your wife because they know? No, he's gonna, he's gonna come after me if I do. That's not a bad thing, by the way. If a man just thinks he can say whatever he wants to about your wife, then you're no threat and you're no guard and you're no protector. Sean, does the Bible say that? Take heed. Take heed. Guard. Protect. Be that hedge of thorns that are around your wife. And let no one. Allow no one. So if you allow it, allow no one to speak treacherously about the wife of your youth. 
Why? Because I know that covenant that I'm in with the wife of my youth. Watch this. Verse 16 says this. And this is the Lord speaking. He says, for I hate divorce. The creator of marriage says, I hate divorce. The creator of the covenant says, I hate divorce. And it should be till death do us part. It should be till death do us part. When you begin to see the weight and feel the weight of marriage, the way God intended the weight of marriage to be, and I don't mean weight as a bad thing. I mean weight as a healthy thing. I mean weight as an honorable thing. Sometimes in Scripture, Old Testament, the word weight means this thing has weight to it, which means it's heavy. It's real. And when you, when you understand, okay, man, I'm young, and I know I'm going to be married. I'm looking forward to being married. I'm excited about being married. I'm excited for my man. Uh, if you're a woman and if you're a dude, I'm excited for my wife. And I know that there's a day. Please hear me, young people. I know that there's a day that I'm going to be married. Then know the weight of that marriage. Don't go by world standards. Go by God's standards. And God says it's a covenant. And it's a divine constitution. And when you're in it, I'm in it for life. And when you get that and you see that, you know God is for your marriage. And this is what he says. Watch this. He says, I hate divorce. Since the Lord, the God of Israel... And him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. He says it again. Watch this. So take heed your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. He says, I hate divorce. I created a covenant. And take heed your spirit. Again, same thought. Connect the dots. Highlight it the first time. Highlight it the second time. Draw a line between it and say, I need to guard this. I need to make sure that we are secure. I mean, to make sure that there's no treacherous behavior that I am towards my wife because God is watching, that anyone is towards my wife because God is watching, and I'm the one who is called to protect. I'm the one who's called to be the doorkeep. I'm the one. And listen, listen, ladies, ladies, ladies. Find you a man who understands this truth. Find you a man who will protect you. Find a man who will fight for you. Find a man who, who understands that he is the doorway and that nobody gets to you, that they watch this gentleman to get to your wife. They got to go through you. Be that guy. Be that man. And you will have a wife that honors you and respects you because she knows I am protected and my man covers me. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Come on, Proverbs 2.17 says this. If you could put that up, please. If you see, if you go through Proverbs, a big fan of Proverbs. Man, Proverbs 2 has a lot to do with just wisdom and understanding and discernment and discretion. These are words that you would see throughout Proverbs 2, but there's a section of Proverbs 2 that deals with the adulterous woman, that deals with the woman who wanders. And this is, this is watch this, this is what God says, that leaves, she leaves the companion of her youth. Companion, again, has to deal with marriage, right? Again, this word has to do with marriage. She leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Again, we see it a second time in Old Testament that marriage is called a covenant and it's given by God, right? So, so when you see this, you go through this, I briefly want to just look at this as, okay, if I know that this is a divine constitution and I know what it really looks like, that she leaves the companion of youth and she forgets the covenant of her God, she forgot that this is till death do us part. She forgot that I made a covenant in marriage when I said I do. When I went through my vows and I came and said, this is what I do. This is my promise to you that I missed that and I forgot that, that that was the commitment covenant piece to my marriage. And when you look at this, I want to cover it just very briefly, just very briefly, that the Bible does give two ways for divorce. There's two ways to divorce, and then there's one that's a third, and I'll talk about it briefly, and this is the deal. Number one, found in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, very clearly, Jesus is speaking, and he says, there is one reason for divorce, and that is an unfaithfulness. That is, that is when there is adultery within the marriage. There is a reason that that covenant has been broken. And Jesus uh, allows for divorce in the sense of that union. And the second one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where it says, if you are married to an unbeliever, if the unbeliever wants to stay in the marriage, you stay. 
If the unbeliever wants to desert the marriage, you let the unbeliever go. Those are the two reasons for divorce. One is unfaithfulness. And even in that, church, I, I tell you, we have seen, and I love this because we have seen couples in this church that have gone through an affair. And today they have gone through the, the repent and they've gone through the, the avenues of true forgiveness and release and they've gone through the, the, the bridging, the gap of trust again and rebuilding that brick by brick, building that bridge that leads to that trust again in the union. And we have seen God by his spirit come in to these relationships and rebuild and reconstruct and, and, and just begin to rebuild such a marriage that was so broken into a place that is now so beautiful. We have seen that. So just because there's an affair, it doesn't mean an automatic divorce. You have a right to, but it doesn't mean you have to because God wants to restore and reconcile, and it's beautiful. But you have the right to. Again, the second one is that deserting, that, that one where if I'm married to an unbeliever, maybe both of you were not saved when you got saved, and one of you got miraculously, beautifully saved, and, and the other is just like, I'm out. I am done. That's not my path. I'm, I'm done with you. This is not the person I married. And they want to bounce. They're allowed to bounce. And you're free to remarry. But if they want to stay, you stay. And then the third is this. If it's a dangerous situation, and please hear me. If there is abuse. 1 Corinthians 7 speaks to an, a, a truth of what it is to, to separate and not divorce. If there are anger issues, which I, man, I, my hope is you, you pick that up before you go commit. That's why dating is so important. That's why you unpacking who this person is and you get to know them, really deeply know them. You get to know their history. You get to know their family. You get to know what they're bringing into the relationship. You need to know what they're dealing with. And if it's a true deep anger issue, you better know that before you go into covenant marriage. You should know that. But if there are deep anger issues, if there are deep abuse issues, then man, you, you, nobody, please hear me as your pastor, nobody should stay in an abusive relationship. Nobody. Boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband or wife. Nobody, nobody should stay in that relationship. If you are in that relationship, you need to seek help. Please, you need to seek help. And, and, and the Bible truth is this. If you're in an abusive relationship, the Bible okays a separation for parties to get help and then bring back to reconciliation after there's been repentance, forgiveness, and help. You got to know that. We love you. Nobody should go through that. Any church or pastor says, no, you can't leave the house. Like, no, I'm getting abused. No, you got to stay. Like, no. Terrible, terrible, terrible pastoring. No one should be in a dangerous situation. And nobody should lay their hands on their husband or their wife. And it's not always just the wife. I've seen, as a police officer, I've seen women just be brutal to their husbands. Brutal. And there needs to be a true biblical separation for the sake of fix. Come on, turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 10, please. A couple more things. And again, I know that, I know that this is deep, but you got to know this, man. This is real to a marriage series. How do you speak on marriage and never speak on divorce? How do you speak on marriage and never speak on the reality of the, the true biblical truths of what is divorce? And you see, you see this beautiful covenant. And this is my hope as we walk into a marriage to say, listen, I know the weight of this. I know the depth of this. I'm not doing it the world way. I'm not doing it any other way. I'm doing it God's way. And in that, I know that I'm in. And it is till death do us part. And, and we've read this in the beginning of our marriage series. And this is Mark 10. And this is a, a great place where you've got Jesus. And he's going over like the, his, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're trying to come and they're trying to test Jesus. They're trying to come and let's just trap them when it comes to divorce. And they try to ask Jesus questions about divorce. And you gotta, you gotta remember like, like, Throughout history, divorce was made so simple, easy throughout history. The reality is, is, is you could divorce your wife if she burnt your toast. That's a true story. If she burnt your meal, you could get a certificate of divorce. Gentlemen, if you burn the meal, you can't burn cereal. I'm just telling you. If you're making dinner, cereal, amazing. It never gets burnt. Renee never says, Sean, you burnt dinner. I make cereal. I can't burn dinner. It's unless you make oatmeal, which I don't know why, but um, you can't burn Cheerios, man. It's incredible, right? So, you know, but that's a true story. If women would wear their hair in a bun, you could divorce your wife. If a woman had a dress on and she spun around one time, you could divorce your wife. Like it was for no reason at all. This is truth. 
they're asking Jesus, what about divorce? Jesus, who knows all things, he just simply says this. Verse six, he says this, but from the beginning of creation. Let's take it back to the original design plan of marriage. Jesus, hey, let's go back to the beginning because man screwed it up. Mankind blew marriage away. From the beginning of creation, God made it a covenant. God said this is a divine constitution. God said this is a binding treaty. And then he says this, from the beginning of creation, God made male and female. And for this reason, man shall leave, and that word is glue, shall leave his, I'm sorry, that man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, that's that's glue. The two shall become one flesh, for they are no longer two, but they are one. Here it is, watch this. From the beginning, the Bible says this, this is what God's plan is. What God therefore joins together, let no man separate. The word joined there is the glue. For what God has glued together, What God has joined together, let no man separate. That's what happens when you you look at this and you say, okay, God, I am going to be married one day. Oh, you're, you're married now. And you're beginning to let the sea just kind of sink sink into your spirit to say, God, it's me and Renee, and it's you. God, you did this. God, you brought us together. The marriage that we have is, God, you put us together. And God, what you bring together, what you join together, let no man separate. That's covenant. That's covenant. That's God's design plan for marriage. And church, what happens when you you look to your vows and, and you know, everyone who's married in here, I hope that you had a wonderful time in your ceremony that you really, you looked to your vows and you spoke your vows to one another. You held hands and you looked in one another's eyes and you declared these this oath and you declared your vow, this promise. Which for many, it meant nothing. For many, it was just what you do in a marriage and in a ceremony and it really means nothing. For me, it's probably one of the most important parts of the whole ceremony is me and, and, and my wife, me and Renee, or it's you and your wife standing like this, holding hands, looking at one another, and you're gonna give that person a promise that says, till death do us part. What happens if you actually meant that? What happens if you own your oath? What happens if you live your vow? I made a promise, and I meant that promise. October 16th, 1993, I made a promise to Renee. And I work at whatever I can to own my oath. It's been 29 years. And I actually started something. I didn't, I didn't have time to finish it. And I was just going through some things and I said, what would it look like if I rewrote my vows 29 years in? Third quarter, man, we just started the third quarter. What would my vows say? Renee didn't even know this. She, she heard this first service. She never even know I was doing this. And I'm like, okay, you say your vows in the beginning, day one. But how would they change? And I started actually literally writing, writing this out on a piece of paper. I, Sean Obergfell, continually take you, Renee Obergfell, to be my wife. And then it kind of took a turn. Well, I'm writing this down. True story. I'm just being honest. And it was just like kind of negative. I will say I'm sorry. I will ask you to forgive me. I will grant forgiveness. I will be gentle with my words. Like it just lets you like you're kind of correcting, right? I went into this self-correcting mode of what my vows of 29 years in would be. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're a tool. I'm like, come on, it's got to get better than this, right? It's like, ah, (laughs) but it was real. I'm like, man, if I'm going to rewrite these, it would be what I'm going to do different. Who I'll be for you from here forward. 
not done with them. It seems to be a long list. I'm working on them. But I, I encourage other people, like, like, if you're married and you're in the middle or wherever you're at, go back and revisit. If you were to rewrite your vows, I, Sean Overkfell, continuously take you, Renee Overkfell, to be my wife. I will. What would you say? What would you say? And as important as I know vows to be, you know, there's the traditional vows and then there's the biblical vows. And you got to know something. The vows are nowhere found in scripture. Vows came actually into a marriage ceremony in the 1500s. It's called the Common Book of Prayers. And they kind of wrote out these, 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 Vows between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, saying, this is who I will be for you. And there's some depth to them and there's some beauty to them. But, but maybe, watch this, please hear me. Maybe the vows are not in, in, in the scripture, but the commitment is. I am making this commitment to you. This is who I will be. I am committed to you. The commitment and the covenant of marriage is found in scripture. So when you see the vows and you've gone over the vows, uh, me, when I really started doing a lot of weddings, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to write our own vows as Believer's Chapel. Like what is, what are some, some if, if I know that vows, there's not like a script for vows in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But there is Bible promise throughout scripture who I am called and I promise to be for a wife and who the wife is called and promised to be for the husband. And like, so I, I, I wrote out some vows, and this is what I use for all of our weddings. And it says this, I, Sean Oberkfeld, take you, Renee Oberkfeld, to be my wife, to have a hold from this day forward. I will love you as Christ loved the church. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will value you. I will honor you. And I will celebrate you. I will put myself second in every circumstance, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. I will honor this marriage until we are parted by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. That's the level of commitment that is found in the word. And for the wife, it goes like this. I, Renee Obergfeld, take you, Sean Obergfeld, to be my husband, to have and hold from this day forward. I will submit myself to you. I will honor you and I will respect you. I will be strong and bring dignity to our home. I will put myself second in every circumstance for better or for worse, for rich or for poorer, in sickness and in health. I will honor this marriage until we are parted by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Just what happens if we just own the oath? What happens if we look at the depth of what marriage really is and, and, and the reality of the covenant? It matters who you date. It matters who you marry. There should be weight, deep weight in that decision. And all along, you should be thinking to yourself, this is till death do us part. This is a covenant. It's amazing because you put these wedding rings on your fingers after you've submitted your vows. See, this, this ring is a reminder of the oath that I have made. With all that I have and all that I am, I will honor you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we wear our rings, we are reminded of a promise that I made to Renee. It is till death do us part. I will protect, and I will cover, and I will pro provide, and I will love you just as Christ loved the church. Sickness is never going to change that. Prosperity is not going to change that. Poverty is not going to change that. It's a promise. No matter what condition of life we are in, no matter what season of life we are in, till death do us part, I give you my promise. I give you my promise. Come on, if we could stand to our feet, please. Come on, as we close in a song. And husbands, wives, grab your wife or your husband's hand. And just say, okay, what do we what do we do with this, man? I just just bow your heads just for a minute. I just want to walk in a place to 
Say, what's it look like even this week or sometime that you just let the kids uh, go with a babysitter or whatever that looks like? And, and it, we do a lot of, we not a lot, we do have done a few vow renewals. But I'm a bigger fan of just you guys at a candlelight dinner. Just husband and wife and no crowd and no people. Let's renew our vows over candlelight. Let's renew our vows and not have people around and let's not have even a pastor around and let's not have let's just renew our vows and it's just me and you revisiting the promises that we made and say yesterday is over today's a new day and today I give you my promise come on Father we love you so much we thank you for today we thank you for your word we thank you God let your word just sit in our spirits here just begin to speak into our lives is the covenant marriage that we have and what a special relationship that is. Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name.